Gaming the System, the number one podcast for gaming addiction, brought to you by Game Quitters. We use research-backed information to provide you with helpful solutions to gaming disorder, as well as shedding light on some of the most pressing matters in the video game industry every single week. We'll also feature guests who are former gaming addicts and have gone on to game the system, creating a life for themselves outside of the virtual world. Thanks for listening. On this episode of Gaming the System, I sit down with Gabe Deem, who, growing up in a time and culture where watching porn was normal, he became captivated by online pornography as a child and consistently watched high-speed internet porn from the age of 12. Eventually, things got so bad, his arousal with real women decreased, and he eventually became dependent on porn, even developing erectile dysfunction at the age of 23. After recovering from porn addiction, he spent years studying the science of porn and now runs Reboot Nation, a free online community with over 11,000 members which helps people overcome problems related to porn use. He's got a passion for assisting other people, raising awareness, and he now speaks internationally at colleges, conferences, and has even been to Capitol Hill to address members of Congress. Gabe's an incredible guy, and I had an amazing time recording this episode for you, and I highly recommend listening to the end. It's full of so much information regarding the science and underlying issues surrounding porn addiction and gaming addiction. We also have a section at the end where we answer questions that we took from our audience, which I highly recommend listening to. But without further ado, I'll let you get into the episode. As always, thanks for tuning in. So, Gabe, how you doing, man? How's, uh, how's things going? I'm doing good, James, man. I'm uh, excited to be here, and uh, I love y'all's mission over at Game Quitters. It definitely is very similar to what I'm trying to do with Reboot Nation and my own personal mission, so I'm happy to to be here talking with you. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Um, You've got a fantastic story, and to the people who don't know anything about you, do you want to tell them a little bit more about what you do, what your story is, and what you're doing now with Reboot Nation? Yeah, man. So. Um, I consider myself an activist for better sex education. And I know that can sound like, huh, that's kind of strange. But what I mean by that is I'm passionate about teaching young people the neuroscience behind the potential negative effects of porn. So in my in my vision and mission, I would love to see the basics of the brain's reward circuit taught to kids and not just the uh, the effects of porn, but also gaming, social media, um, everything that they would need to know growing up in a digital world. And um, the reason I'm so passionate about that is because of my own story. Um, I grew up as a gamer, but also heavily into porn. Um, I started watching, uh, I started looking at Playboy magazines when I was eight. Uh, I found a Playboy Hustler magazine playing hide and go seek with my friends and I found it under the bush. <laughs> and I, this is such a common story. It really is. Uh, on one of my YouTube videos, this is funny. I, one guy said, why is porn always under a bush when we're kids? It's like, it's literally <laughs> as if it grows on trees. I thought that was pretty funny. It had like 200 upvotes. So apparently a lot of people found it under bushes too. Um, but yeah, so, you know, that was back in the day at, at 10 years old, this was around, you know, 1987. Uh, my family got cable TV, so I would stay up late at night. You know, once I was done playing Pokemon at 2 a.m. on my Game Boy, 
I would switch over and watch porn for a couple hours while my parents thought I was sleeping. Um, you know, I was watching MTV and BET booty shaking videos. And I was also watching like, you know, the, the HBO Skinamax late night Yeah. for, for the older guys, y'all might remember trying to watch porn on squiggly signals that you didn't really download the video. <laughs> it, it came in. You'd sit there and wait for like, you know, five to 10 minutes just to possibly see a glimpse of like a nipple in the top left corner. <laughs> the struggle was real. Yeah. Um, but things got bad when I was 12. And that's when my uh, my family got high speed Internet. And as soon as that happened, I'd ride my bike home from school and watch porn sometimes for a couple hours before my parents got home. And at that time, you know, I was using file sharing sites like Kazaa, uh, Napster, LimeWire, stuff like that. And, you know, my friends were tech savvy and this was a normal part of team culture. So we were passing pieces of paper at school back and forth with tips and tricks of how to hide it from our parents. You know, things like delete your history, clear your cookies, pause the download before it saves to your computer, stuff like that. And um, just about all my friends were doing it in middle school. And uh, I continued watching porn um, through high school and into college. And um, an important part of my story is I became sexually active at the age of 14. So I was um, always in a real relationship um, and I, I was having real sex and watching porn. But the battle for my sex drive and the battle for my motivation to pursue, you know, my girlfriend uh, began when I was 14. And over time, my drive for pixels on a screen and the craving to go to my phone or go to my laptop to watch porn ended up increasing and my drive to pursue real sex decreased, uh, eventually leading to a time when I was 23. I went to have sex with the drop dead gorgeous girl I had a crush on and she was ready and willing to do whatever I wanted to. She was gorgeous and my body could not respond. Um, a naked girl right in front of my eyes and I couldn't feel any arousal and I freaked out. I had, I had no clue what was wrong with me. You know, I had sexual experience. I knew it wasn't performance anxiety. I knew it wasn't um, whiskey dick or anything like that. I hadn't drinking that much alcohol or anything like that. So I knew something was wrong. I fell asleep that night. This was back in 2011 with tears in my eyes. Like what the crap is wrong with me? I'm, I'm broken. So I did what anyone would do, and I hopped on Google and typed in young guy boner problem. And what I found blew my mind. I eventually found forums with, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of guys with a similar story to me. They'd used internet porn for several years and reached a point where they could no longer get it up with a real person. They were dependent on porn to either keep a boner or to climax. So um, I saw that you could recover by quitting porn. And I did it. It was it was very difficult, and we can get into the recovery process. But long story short, there was a test that really made me believe that porn could actually be the cause. Because at first I was skeptical, and that was see if you can get an erection when you're masturbating without porn. So I tried it, and I realized I couldn't. And the reason that test is important is because it rules out some things, right? So if you are trying to masturbate without porn and you can't then it's not performance anxiety, which is what, you know, is commonly told to young guys with the problem. They'll say, oh, you're just nervous, bro. You're just, you know, you have anxiety or relationship problems. Just give it some time and relax, bro. Um, but the reason the test rules that out is because if you can't get 
a boner with your hand, then it's not performance anxiety because you're not nervous about sexually satisfying your palm. And you don't care what your hand thinks about your, you know, your penis <laughs> size or anything like that. <laughs> and then if you can function perfectly fine when you open up your laptop, then that means you probably don't have a cardiovascular disease because simply looking at a screen shouldn't make a cardiovascular problem go away. So it was clear I was dependent on porn to function. And I, uh, through recovery, once I recovered, um, I'll finish it up here. I saw that the mainstream media was just completely ignorant on the topic, or they were intentionally lying about the state of the research and attacking a man named Gary Wilson, who started a website called yourbrainonporn.com with, you know, just fascinating research, really practically written so anyone can understand it. And it was just mind-blowing how awesome it was but I was seeing that he was getting attacked in mainstream media and I knew that young guys like myself were depressed um, some were suicidal I myself had a little suicidal ideation when I was afraid I wasn't ever going to be able to function again and seeing the lies and the misconceptions getting thrown around in the media really bothered me and so I decided to speak up put a name and face to the problem um, I was the the first guy, as far as I know, to, you know, go on TV and say, hey, you know, this is a real problem. I'm a real person. And I didn't have any pre-existing condition that was behind it. I just chronically consumed porn and it screwed me up. So and this is this is what you need to know to recover. And so ever since then, things have took off and I've just been trying to help as many people as possible and come on podcasts like this and do what I can. Oh, that's awesome, man. That's such a great story. And having that reason behind it, I think, is so powerful in just spreading that message to people, getting them to to believe in you and to give you some uh, almost credibility, I guess. Uh, people will relate to it and see themselves in it. But one thing I want to talk about is that pushback from the industry, because uh, it's something we've been seeing so much in Game Quitters recently. Um, recently, the South Korean government uh, actually spoke out about the World Health Organization decision to classify gaming disorder as a disease, saying that the the 3% of people who struggle with a gaming addiction is going to destroy their gaming economy. And uh, we're starting to get more and more companies uh, attack us. But it's nothing like what you see in the porn industry, what's been going on. Like the Gary Wilson thing you mentioned, been keeping up with that, and and NoFap, and... I don't know. To me, it's kind of seems like the old, the old uh, tobacco industries or the, the gambling and alcohol. It's almost as if they're scared and they're trying to do what they can to, I don't know, make as much of an impact as possible against regulation. Uh, do you think it's denial, like genuine denial that there's a problem, or are they just trying to cover their own ass? I I think it I think it starts off as a little bit of both. You know, I I think you know. I'm not going to assign intention to anybody because, you know, we never know people's motives for doing anything. That's, that's a hard issue. That's a mind issue that we just can't, you know, confidently say that they're being intentionally malevolent about something. So intentions aside, what we can say is that they are denying research that exists. They are willfully ignorant because they have been giving it Uh, Given the evidence personally by me, by Gary, by tons of other researchers, there's uh, well-known porn addiction science deniers, I'll call them, 
that have communicated on the, the same kind of debate with the World Health Organization as far as compulsive sexual behavior disorder goes. And these well-known researchers are debating with um, neuroscientists that have done dozens of studies. And they'll, they'll come away from those debates and then still do mainstream interviews and deny that there's any evidence. They'll just flat out say, there's no evidence that supports porn addiction. And I know um, I've seen Cam talk about uh, the side of uh, the same thing with gaming addiction is, um, you know, the video response from the gaming industry that Cam made a video on for y'all's uh, YouTube channel. I watched it and they literally in that video after the decision to include gaming disorder was in, they said there's it was it was based on no evidence. <laughs> yeah. The inclusion of gaming disorder was based on no evidence. But as you and Cam and myself know, it was based on hundreds and hundreds of studies. It wasn't like they just woke up one morning and said, eh, let's just slap this in the hood and let, you know, let's just make this a real thing. No, it was based on literally decades of neurological studies on behavioral addictions. The, um, the American Society of Addiction Medicine, ASAM, changed the definition of addiction back in 2011 to actually include behavioral addictions and stated it was a primary disease, meaning it's not, you know, like OCD anxiety driven. It's actually a primary disease that can develop from chronic consumption, whether it's food, whether it's gaming, whether it's gambling, or whether it's sexual behaviors like porn, uh, internet porn. And so the experts, the actual experts that have known the research for literally decades have, you know, they, there's been a consensus among them that yes, behavioral addictions are real. Uh, gambling's been, uh, you know, an acknowledged addiction for like 25 years, I believe. And um, I think it is very similar. What, what the gaming debate is seeing is the same as what the porn debate is seeing, which is also the same as what the tobacco industry did, like you mentioned. Um, a great article I'd, I'd encourage listeners to look up um, is by Linda Hatch. She wrote an article um, uh, about the development of agnotology, and that's the basically the intentional production of doubt. So there was a there was a memo in the tobacco industry that uh, went around in like the late '60s when the debate was roaring about you know does does tobacco cause cancer yada yada, and they actually in an email said our product is doubt, and so they were intentionally paying researchers, working with researchers to create doubt by publishing bogus studies with, you know, terrible methodologies. And their goal wasn't even to produce, and this is the key, it wasn't to produce actual good science to like, you know, really get to the heart of the matter because they care. Their goal was to protect their product, to protect their pocket, and to produce research to make it appear to lay people out in the public that, oh, you know, there's science on both sides and this is an equal debate. When the true researchers, the true scientists that, you know, just got into the topic because they were interested in, you know, uh, helping people and, you know, creating actual solid scientific research, they knew the whole time that, oh my gosh, this is seriously screwing a lot of people up. But it was the industry's purpose. Um, it was the industry's motivation to create doubt. And so she wrote an article, um, if you look up Linda Hatch, Agnotology, um, that article will pop up. And it's really good because it, it, it describes the, um, the method of sowing 
doubt into the public's perception. So people just go, yeah, there's science on both sides. So who knows? The other problem with that is these industries like tobacco, gambling, porn, gaming, they've got so much money to throw at it into this research, mm-hmm. um, into fighting back against it. It's almost like you're fighting a losing battle all yeah. the time. Yeah, so you mentioned NoFap. So NoFap announced yesterday that they are suing one of the main researchers who's been attacking and smearing and throwing ad hominem yeah, attacks yeah. at Alexander Rhodes. Um, and they've also tried to get uh, NoFap basically deplatformed off Twitter, you know, say, accusing them of misogyny, which is totally ironic wow. considering, <laughs> considering NoFap just wants guys to stop using, you know, using porn compulsively. And yeah. so I don't know how you can be misogynistic if you encourage young people to stop objectifying people, but I don't know. That's some serious mental gymnastics. Um, but yeah, the, one of the concerns was the financial ability of the porn industry to back the other side. And so Alexander um, launched this campaign on NoFap. And if anyone's interested, please go check it out because um, he's standing up to the industry's attacks and fighting for truth. And uh, he's going to need some financial support just to get through the legal costs. And um, there's a lot of people backing him. And I I highly encourage everyone to at least go um, consider it and give it a thought. Yeah, definitely check it out or spread the message at least every every little bit helps and it's mm-hmm. uh, such a it helps so many thousands of people uh yeah. no fap it's probably my one of my first introductions into that whole community of stopping um things like gaming and masturbation and porn uh, just because mm-hmm. no fap's so widespread on the internet and uh yeah if that if that went away it would be such a huge loss um on the internet yeah and even just it being connected to Reddit too, you know, there's so many other subreddits yeah. that hear about NoFap and then they're, you know, they go check out further information to see what it's about. And then, you know, they might realize, oh, my problem is actually porn and look into the negative neurological effects of that. And then, you know, I've seen countless, literally hundreds and hundreds of posts from guys that said they stumbled on it on Reddit. Um, and then they, yeah. they basically changed their life completely because of that. And so for it to be removed from the platform, everyone that's interested in an addiction recovery program or anyone that's going through a negative life consequence from consuming either gaming or porn should be interested in what NoFap's going through right now. Yeah, 100%. Um, that reminds me of something, actually. What's Because uh, a lot of people seem to have this idea that things like no fap no nut no porn they're all the same thing um <laughs> <laughs> there's so many different things um it's like are you completely against masturbation or just pornography or like what's your kind of stance on that whole that whole aspect of it yeah so so my personal stance i don't consider myself anti anything other than ignorance honestly i'm yeah. i'm pro education so you know i get asked this all the time um, I, I'm not anti-porn. I know semantics can come into play. And yes, I think it is unhealthy and can t- potentially ruin your life as I experienced. But I'm not on a mission to fight the porn industry or to even fight the existence of porn or to ban porn or anything like that. I think everyone should have the freedom to make their own choices. I just want those to be informed choices. And I'm not anti-masturbation. 
I'm just pro-education so others can make informed choices. Um, but to get into the difference between no fat, no nut November, and point three. Um, well, so first of all, no fat is primarily focused on compulsive sexual behavior, right? Um, you have the vast majority of fapstronauts, as they're called, just <laughs> want to, <laughs> it's a brilliant name, just want to uh, get control of their behavior. You know, they have out of, out of control behavior. And the vast majority of that uh, section of guys are addicted to porn. And um, so it's primarily health focused. And it's kind of the concept of master your domain is, I would say, in a nutshell, what NoFap is. Mastering your domain, quitting compulsive behavior, quitting an addiction, and trying to recover. And then you have No Nut November and, um, you know, that whole thing. And that's that's kind of the same thing. It has a lot of components of the pursuit of health and controlling your behavior and your ability to abstain from a vice for a month. Um, but it also has a very large portion of just trolling and being funny and yeah. you know, posting hilarious memes. And it's kind of a play <laughs> on no shave November or Movember. Um, yeah. But, but to be fair to no nut November, there are a lot of people that are doing it for health benefits. Also, it just has, you know, kind of the more meme uh, environment. And then there's porn free uh, on Reddit, which has over a hundred thousand uh, people on it. And its focus is just porn. Um, I'm a huge fan of, well, I'm a huge fan of both NoFap and Porn Free, but um, Porn Free is more aligned with Reboot Nation as we don't, Reboot Nation doesn't even talk about masturbation or care for the most part. We're only focused on internet porn's effects. Um, And that's how Porn Free is. Uh, The majority of people over there have realized that wait a minute, masturbation wasn't our problem. It was the fact that we wanted novelty. It's kind of like, you know, constantly, you know, dropping into a Fortnite match over and over and over and over and over again. You just compulsively Uh keep seeking it. And if you take the porn away, you don't really want to just sit there and stroke yourself all day long. The desire to masturbate for as long as you were while you were watching porn isn't there. So in reality, you were rewired to pursue pixels on a screen and novelty and clicking from tab to tab rather than an addiction or compulsion to masturbate. Um, and so that's kind of where porn free is. It's, it's focused on porn. It's focused on sexual dysfunctions and, you know, rewiring of the arousal template. You know, they link to your brain on porn right there on the sidebar on the porn free subreddit. And so, um, And there are, as far as going back to the NoFap, there's a small group of NoFappers, Fapstronauts, that are only concerned with masturbation, but it's, you know, it's a very small percentage. Even NoFap is primarily focused on porn. And I want to say one more thing about NoFap, because it is confusing. When you hear NoFap, especially uh, boomers, shall I say? (laughs) Boomers boomers here, since it's it's trendy right now. Older, Older people think no fap they hear fap and they only think about masturbation right but the problem is our generation called digital natives that grew up with the internet we see masturbation and porn as synonymous right you know when you when you ask a young guy if he masturbates you're basically asking him does he watch porn or at least that's how he hears it yeah and so no fap 
is primarily focused on porn. And I have to explain that to everybody when I'm having this conversation because they, you know, when you hear no fat, you think, oh, no masturbation. And so that's just something to, to clarify. No fap is just onomatopoeia of the sound it makes when you're jerking off. And it's primarily, you know, Alexander Rhodes, the founder of no fap, he, you know, had a porn addiction. He was compulsively masturbating and he had to fantasize. He got to a point where he had to fantasize about porn to maintain arousal. And, you know, he started it off as a challenge. Uh, NoFap started as a week challenge to see if you can go, you know, master your domain for a week, kind of like No Nut November. But quickly, Alexander and the community realized that we're addicted to porn, not masturbation. So that's just a good little history of NoFap, how it, it started off as a challenge. And then, it re- you know, the community realized, the vast majority of the community realized that internet porn is the main problem and developing that addiction and that. Um, you know, desire for novelty. And a lot of the guys are dependent on porn to even function. I myself, yeah. I couldn't even, I couldn't even masturbate without porn for 15 months. I, I, if I used my fantasy or if I, you know, what, no matter what I did to myself without getting too graphic, I could not yeah. get aroused. But the moment I went back and opened up my laptop and started typing in my favorite porn tube site, I instantly could get aroused so it couldn't have been any more clear i was dependent on porn to function yeah what do you think's contributed to this um dependency on porn that we're seeing in the modern generation because it's become so normalized uh, pornography is so accessible um do you think it's just um i don't want to say it's just because of new technology and smartphones is there some part of human nature Uh, well well, i think it taps into our innate circuitry like you know, our sexual drive, the, the drive to procreate, the drive to reproduce and pass on our genes is, evolutionarily speaking, our number one drive. And, uh, you know, studies have shown that of all behaviors and natural rewards, sexual arousal and climax uh, produces more dopamine than anything. Um, I actually uh, have a slide in my presentation where I show dopamine levels in the brain and um, orgasm has, you know, dopamine levels shoot up 200% over baseline and, you know, eating a delicious piece of cake or something like that is, you know, 50% less than that. And, um, you know, drugs like meth and cocaine are, you know, only 50 to 100% higher than orgasm. And a lot of people that do heroin will say that shooting up like heroin feels like an orgasm. And that's because, you know, a lot of addictive drugs um, excite the same neurons and the same nerve cells in the brain as sexual arousal, which makes sense and which is why we can get addictive to drugs. They they hijack natural drives that we already possess, which is why gaming and porn can be so addictive. Gaming hijacks our natural drive to climb the social hierarchy, the dominance hierarchy, to improve ourselves, to uh, reach our goals, to get a good job, to level up in real life. Gaming hijacks that to where we're leveling up on a fictionary screen, mining and cutting down trees for points when our ancestors were cutting down trees and building log cabins in beautiful cities. So think about that when you're hacking away at a tree on Fortnite, you're, you know, your ancestors were hacking trees and building houses 
and you're just building a little yeah. a ramp to go get a <laughs> mythical golden chest. And so you can see how the reason video games are so awesome to our brains is because it's literally just hijacking what you're naturally wired to pursue. And same for porn. We're, we're wired for connection. We're wired for novelty, the pursuit of novelty and taking risks and trying new things. And when you go on internet porn, specifically tube sites, and let me come back to that in a second, uh, the tube site change and how it changed the whole game. But when you have unlimited novelty, unlimited access, you click and you click and you search. And a lot of porn addicts will tell you that, you know, they escalate into things they once considered shocking or weird or repulsive. And, you know, after years of watching internet porn, you're watching girls and goats and all sorts of gang bangs and no telling what you escalate into. You know, you could Everyone can take that personally in their own history and see what I'm saying. But you escalate into stuff that you once thought was kind of crazy because, and we know this too, anything shocking, surprising, uh, maybe a little taboo uh, based on your own definition can release more dopamine in the brain and increase the uh, neurochemical cocktail, if you will, and up the excitement. So it makes perfect sense that behavioral addictions exist and that substances hijack those same neural pathways that were, you know, innately in us to, per, uh, to get us to pursue a healthy life. So the, the big game changer happened uh, to really set apart, you know, our, our, the culture we find ourselves in now, the, the generation of digital natives that grew up with the internet and what makes porn today so different from porn of the past is novelty. That's the main thing. Um, a lot of people will call it the triple A. You have anonymity, affordability, it's free. You can always be anonymous. And then the last one, accessibility. If you have an internet accessible device, there's an unending amount of novelty of you know internet porn you can click through. So it's the triple A engine that drives it. And you know the days of getting your uncle or dad's magazine out from under the bed <laughs> or going to the store to buy, like rent a VHS tape or whatever. And a lot of the young guys are like, what's a VHS tape? <laughs> but those days are gone. And now it's just, you know, everyone has a 24 seven porn studio in their pocket if you have a smartphone. And that's the, that's the, main thing that sets it apart and what has contributed to the, the growing rates of problems. So it's interesting. In, in 2005, YouTube was created. In 2007, I believe, the iPhone was created. And so when, when YouTube was launched, porn sites changed forever. No longer did you have to download a video clip and sit there you actually, for the younger bucks, you actually had to download a video and you just sat there with your penis in your hand, just tapping your finger on the desk, like, dude, dude, dude. And it wasn't, waiting. it wasn't instant back then. Like it took it a long time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You had to wait. It was like 1%, 5%, 6%. It was torture. And so that was no longer the case. Once YouTube launched, porn sites switched over to the tube site model. And you could now have multiple tabs open, clicking from video to video, having four videos playing in other tabs while you have another tab open, searching for more. The level of novelty and stimulation was like human humanity's never seen before in the past. And right after that, in 2008, you had forums start popping up all over the world where young guys were talking about having erectile dysfunction with their partner, but not with porn. And a couple years later, 
Um, Gary Wilson was seeing these young guys on these uh, medical forums and guitar forums and car forums and bodybuilding forums. They were popping up all over the world on all kinds of forums where guys congregate. And they all had one thing in common. Internet porn was screwing them up and they were recovering by abstaining from it and talking about how the, the science could be uh, explaining what they were experiencing. So Gary took their stories and took his knowledge. He has a, a vast knowledge of the neuroscience behind behavioral addictions. And he started yourbrainonporn.com January 2011. And insert me, I stumbled across yourbrainonporn.com when I was uh, 23 years old back in 2011 in May. May 17th was the day. Um, that was the day I gave up porn and I haven't gone back since. Um, so, so yeah, the, the big game changer was the tube site explosion. And right after that happened, forums started popping up everywhere. And NoFap came along also in 2011. Yeah. And I think for the people who aren't familiar with whether they're not avid porn watchers or they come from a different generation, um, that they're not familiar with like this tube site model. They haven't witnessed firsthand the effects of something like desensitization to porn from having so much, uh, so many different things you can look up. Uh, it's something I've found in the past. You're constantly seeking that that bigger hit, I guess, which is where porn tends to differ from a lot of other addictions, because um, it's no longer about getting more, uh, more of one thing, like more drugs or more porn. You need different. You need more extreme, uh, more extreme porn. And it's out there. Like there's, if you can imagine it, it's it's out there. And this nonstop um, addiction to porn is driving people to to watch things that they that you feel disgusted. Like what uh, afterwards watching these these videos, and yet people are still seeking out this uh, greater and greater fix. I think it's contributing a lot to well a huge amount of problems in young men growing up today who are becoming reliant on porn, they're getting their sex education from porn, uh, they're learning how to treat women from porn. There's so many different issues uh, that I've noticed myself. But what are some of the biggest effects that you've seen, uh, particularly on young men growing up, uh, that have come about from this this rise in porn? Yeah, well, you know, you have your... This, the the most devastating effects that I experienced and that I see are the, the sexual dysfunction. So that's kind of the end of the road where you can no longer function without porn and you, you reach a level of dependency. Um, but there's a lot of precursors that can happen and earlier symptoms that you can experience. Um, so, you know, there's, there's increased stress, there's increased anxiety, which is common among all behavioral addictions. Um, there's uh, lethargy, uh, lethargy, lack of motivation, uh, difficulty sleeping. Um, I experienced all that too. Uh, increased social anxiety, where you know you you've you've become comfortable when you're in front of a screen and uncomfortable when you're with real people and you're not in control of your situation. Um, and then also poor working memory, interestingly enough, you, uh, once you develop an addiction, just when you're out and about in the real world, you're constantly thinking about getting back 
to gaming or getting back to watching porn. And that can negatively impact your ability to focus on small day-to-day tasks, to listen to instructions from your boss, to listen to instructions from your teacher, to pay attention in class. All of that can be negatively impacted once you have a super memory of pleasure in your brain uh, for whatever it is that you're addicted to. I remember one time I was in uh, college, I think it was British literature or something, but the whole class, I literally was drawing Call of Duty maps. (laughs) (laughs) I I still to this day remember a buddy of mine, you know, we, we had stayed up all night gaming. We went to class and we didn't hear a single word our professor said, and we passed maps back and forth that we had drawn of where our favorite Whoa. places were to set up shop and snipe people and that's, all sorts of stuff. That sounds like exactly that. like something I would have done. It was cool at the time, but yeah, when yeah. you drop out of, yeah, when you drop out of school and realize, like I said, you didn't level up in real life, it you know, it later on in life catches up to you and you go, What the hell was Why do you think so many people Uh, suffer from both porn and gaming addiction yeah i think it goes back to our innate desires what we naturally desire um and they both hijack the the dopamine the incentive motivation right our our natural motivation to pursue either uh being successful in the real world or being successful with a sexual mate and the the pathways are very similar and they're both technology driven and they literally both go hand in hand when you use the same, if you're a computer gamer, you're usually, you're using the same exact uh, device that you get your dopamine hit, whether it's gaming or porn. So I think while gaming hijacks our motivation to level up in real life, porn hijacks our motivation to pursue a real partner and get a husband or wife. And if you combine those two together, like I did, um, I was, a. Uh, I haven't really said much about my gaming, but you know, I was super addicted to call of duty, uh, in my late teenage years, early, uh, early twenties, I actually reached number one in the world in kills on call of duty, modern warfare two. Wow. Probably saw your name on the leaderboard. I was obsessed with that game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was, I was up there. I had, I think I had like a hundred thousand kills in a month. The first month it was wow. out. Um, I was pulling, you know, the first, the first session I had was 37 hours straight. I had my, you know, I had my monsters lined up next to me and my Kansas SpaghettiOs. I was full on just the stereotype of a dirty loser gamer. (laughs) I want to talk more about that. I want to get into your gaming addiction. I didn't realize it was so bad. (laughs) Yeah. For for a period of time, it was, uh, it it tapped into my competitive, you know, my competitive drive and it, it literally overtook my life. Um, was that coming at a time when you had other difficulties going on or was it just like, I love games, I'm going to keep playing them? Yeah, no. And see, that's one thing that is important to point out. And it, it's actually good for all addicts to point this out, you know, because a lot of people dismiss addiction as having some underlying issue. Like yeah, you're hiding from pain. Or you're, yeah. This is the number one misconception about addiction. People that don't believe that gaming addiction is real people that don't believe that porn addiction is real will just say that porn isn't your problem. Oh, video games aren't your problem. It's always something else, which to be fair, that is true for a lot of addicts. You know, a lot of addicts, uh, even Cam talks about how, you know, he went through a, a bad breakup or, you know, a couple other issues he was dealing with and he was turning to gaming, but that doesn't take away from the point 
that chronic consumption of anything intensely stimulating, especially during your teenage years where your brain is most moldable, uh, moldable can lead to addiction-related brain changes and compulsive uh, gaming or compulsively watching porn. So regardless of an issue driving you to use porn or driving you to game, you can still develop a problem if you don't have an issue. And so, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to never have any abuse or trauma as a kid or, you know, I didn't have any, um, I guess, I'll call it self-esteem issues or, you know, I didn't have any shame around my porn use or I didn't have any shame around my gaming. It was actually pride around my gaming and pride around porn use that, you know, was getting me to go back. I, I was hedonistically pursuing pleasure. It was very pursuit of pleasure driven rather than avoiding pain driven. And um, that's important to point out again, just because people dismiss addiction as being not the problem. And regardless if you have something that drove you to compulsively use or not, it can be a problem. So that's just important to, important to point out. But yeah, so I, I had always been a gamer. Um, you know, I was, I was a, a GoldenEye fanatic oh, back man. in the day. Oh, yeah. That was <laughs> GoldenEye is my bread and butter. When I was like, I guess, eight years old, uh, I was playing GoldenEye for several hours a day. And your boy was running around like I would just spend hours in the uh, map facility, which, you know, hands down is the best map on GoldenEye. No, no question <laughs> I would go around the table and practice my aiming, shooting the little science beakers that were on the table just to make sure my aim was better. And so, you know, my brother was much older. He was a teenager. He would bring his high school friends over and they would play me three V one and I would just smack them all. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was very competitively, uh, competitively driven. And I was also playing games like Pokemon, you know, staying up all night in bed under my covers with my little Game Boy Color, oh, yeah. you know, walking, walking through the stupid grass over and over again, fighting Pidgeys, trying to level up to whatever it was, level 70 or whatever. I can hear that battle but, music yeah. in my head now. Yeah. And, God. <laughs> and I mean, it's a great game, but again, it, yeah, yeah. for a, for a developing brain for a kid, you know, I was, I was getting a couple hours of sleep a night trying to still function like a normal person. And, no wonder, you know, looking back, I had, you know, poor working memory. And it even affected me not to jump too far ahead, but it affected me in basketball. I was always, you know, um, an athlete, I wanted to be a NBA player was one of my goals growing up. Like, I, I legit thought I had a chance for a little bit. I was decent, but I wasn't that good. I was a little overconfident. <laughs> but but my drive, my drive to be uh, a good basketball player got hijacked by gaming. And, you know, I stopped practicing in middle school whenever I was spending all day playing, you know, uh, Counter-Strike and Command and Conquer and um, uh, Halo, Halo 1, 2, and 3. Um, and then eventually later in high school, whenever Call of Duty 4 came out, I switched over to Call of Duty. But Yeah, that was the big one. That was kind of like our generation, the, I don't know, the game of that, that kind of changed the generation, I think. Yeah, when Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare came out, I remember I was at a buddy's house and uh, his dad said, hey, hey, Gabe, you play games, right? And I was like, oh, yeah, what's up? What, what do you got? He, go, <laughs> he goes, come in here and give me 10 seconds of your time. And I promise this is going to blow your mind. So I, I walk in there. I'm like, what is this dude talking about? He's a fifth year old dude, really cool guy. And I'm like, what does he know about the games that I like? You know, and I, I walk in there. He showed me. 
he goes, just check this out. He shows me the mission on Call of Duty 4 where you shoot the sniper bullet and you have to judge the wind blowing oh, yeah. to hit the guy. And, you know, you, you, you pull the trigger, you, you, you're trying to read the flags that are blowing on the tanks to, uh, you know, to assassinate whoever you were trying to, I forget who it was, but anyways, like the slow motion shot, the graphics just blew my mind. And it, that night I went to Best Buy and bought <laughs> Call of Duty and was, was, was playing it 20 hours a day for the next several years. So. <laughs> One of the things you always touch on is the, and I'm going back to the original topic, um, the needs that gaming fulfills being escapism, challenge, mm. growth, and social connection. And when you combine that with porn, you've got, you fulfill pretty much every single human need possible. Yeah. And I think that's why so many people in our community come to us with porn addiction issues yep. and gaming addiction. And I think it's why we had such a great response to uh, this podcast. Uh, we told people, we sent out an email uh, asking for questions, uh, to uh, to give to Gabe and we got flooded uh, <laughs> with emails and if it's all right with you I want to go through a few of those now yeah let's do it give us give us a chance to cover some of the things we haven't been able to I'll take a whack at it yeah <laughs> pun intended or <laughs> definitely <laughs> so oh god there's so many um so this one's from a mother of two boys she wants to know how can she educate her as her husband on the effects of porn because he sees it as a rite of passage for the kids, like almost wears his boyhood boyhood porn days as a badge of honor. And she's concerned that porn has become more graphic and violent since her husband was young. And she just wants to know how can she get her husband on board uh, with the way she sees it. Yeah, well, well, two things that we've already discussed will definitely play into that conversation. Number one, dad is not thinking about internet porn like you just mentioned and the facts and, and and her worries that porn has changed with the genres so number one i'd say focus on the fact that we're talking unlimited novelty and not just a playboy magazine so i'm sure he grew up with you know playboys and the vhs's that we were talking about mm -hmm. passing around the magazine at school yeah yeah exactly and internet porn is the is a totally different beast. Um, I highly encourage uh, her to encourage him to go to uh, yourbrainonporn.com and read the Start Here article, and it'll it'll walk you through uh, the the basic neuroscience and the emphasis on how important this novelty producing machine that is internet porn, um, how important that differentiation is from old school Playboy magazines. And number two, as she's already aware of the genres, you know, this isn't uh, a pretty woman with her boobs out. This is, uh, you know, extreme facial abuse porn where the girls are throwing up, gagging and tears are running down their face. That's something that I watched when I was 12 years old. This is uh, anal destruction and gaping and gang rapes. And yeah. all, I mean, I could just list a hundred genres that oh it goes on and it's, on yeah. it's you know the sad thing about it is everything i just said is not even surprising like everyone no knows, no not at all. everyone knows that this is out there there's words like facial that now are just common knowledge and you no longer think of going to a beauty salon and so that needs to be emphasized to the husband like look there's unlimited novelty so even if he does start on 
you know, something that you would consider quote unquote healthier, there's, a, you know, there's going to be suggested videos where he could see an image of uh, simulated rapes, could see an image of a girl crying and be, you know, he doesn't have, even if you've been somewhat educated, you don't have the frontal cortex breaks development to keep yourself from clicking on something like that because curiosity wins and also just the drive for novelty wins. So you'll start clicking around just to get shocked, um, which is, which is why jackass was so popular among teenagers because you know, the shock and the grossness and the Holy crap. Did I just watch that? That drive is in, you know, the most powerful phase in life when we're teenagers and adolescents because our brain wants us to go out in the uh, world and take risks. But anyways, those two things, the genre, the genre has changed more shocking, more violent, and that's no longer a rite of passage to watch a simulated rape scene. And the novelty can lead to potential problems where if it's just uh, innocent little browse uh, rite of passage type thing, it could escalate into um, very, very extreme material and also out of control sexual behavior really fast. So things have ta- uh, changed. Yeah, 100% a great answer. Um, similar subject of... Um spouses but the other side of it now uh, what can someone do if they're worried about their spouse's porn addiction if it's having an effect on their on their marriage and their relationship i'll say this um i never i never get into moral arguments so we'll just keep those out of the picture um depending on what your relationship has established as what is okay um if y'all have agreed that watching porn is something that he shouldn't be doing or he doesn't want to do and he's having difficult time controlling his behavior, then start there. Um, the, the addict has to want to change. So number one, is he an addict? Has he admitted that he has a problem? And number two, if he does admit he has a problem, then he needs to walk down the steps of advice that I would give, which is get educated, get support, replacement activities like uh, exercise time in nature meditation stuff like that and then um you know journal help others and then if he if he really needs that extra help to go see Prednor. but um if as a partner though you you just need to find out where your partner's head's at does does he think he has a problem or she because there's women addicts too um does your partner think they have a problem and that's that's step one because if they're in denial or they don't think they have a problem then it's going to be really hard to take the conversation anywhere um so the first thing to do is just to start talking about it to see where they're at if they express that they're actually having you know difficulty controlling their behavior well, then, you know, Game Quitters and My Site Reboot Nation uh, have the resources to walk you through the path of recovery. Um, and I it, just if anyone's interested, I do have a porn induced ED reboot advice video, which I did way back in the day. It's the first video on my channel if you scroll down. But I just walk you through the five steps that I just mentioned. Education, um, get support on a, either recovery community or go seek help. Um, number three, replace it. You do, you know, pursue a worthy ideal, um, whether that's exercise, meditation, uh, learning dance lessons or, you know, anything like that. Um, and then change your mindset. Uh, me personally, I don't think about porn as a moral issue. I think about it as a health issue and thinking about it as a health issue takes away any shame, takes away any taboo 
to the topic, which might make things worse. I rather stay away from porn the same reason I stay away from cocaine and cigarettes. It's a, it's a health issue to me. So that's my advice if your partner is aware or thinks they have a problem. Yeah, I, I think that's great. Uh, one thing I'd probably add to it is if you want to, or if you're trying to bring it up with him, try starting by talking about how it makes you feel. Like I, I know that you're watching these porn videos. It doesn't make me feel good about myself. Do you think we could have a chat about it? Um, I just want to know. I want to know more. I want to understand why you're doing it. Yeah, try and start. Um, if you're finding it difficult to start that conversation, perhaps start there. So this question comes from someone who's struggling with porn or stopping porn. And uh, they have the problem of coming across as desperate and needy towards women when they try to abstain from porn and masturbating because they, they, they go through a dry spell and they get all this pent-up energy and they don't know what to do. And they want to know if porn's a healthy way to mitigate that energy. What should they do? Like, how should they go about uh, dealing with that? Well, the, I think there's way healthier uh, outlets to pursue. Um, intense anaerobic exercise, sprints, lifting weights, something that exerts a, a high amount of energy in a short amount of time um, is what I've seen to be the most effective at getting rid of that pent-up energy. Um, and a lot of guys that uh, do no fab or they go through what we call rebooting, which is the same thing. It's just a temporary time away from porn or, or masturbation. Um, exercise has been like the number one thing or, you know, plan an awesome getaway where you go hiking or, you know, go do, go to a park and play basketball or football or go play disc golf or something like that. Those are healthier outlets, uh, rather than turning to porn. But if you do want to release sexually, like I said, um, and this is just my opinion, uh, I'm not against masturbation. So I think, you know, slow, slow touch and gentle touch uh to yourself without being dependent on porn um i don't see any problem with that um especially if porn addiction is your problem um so that's just what i'd say to that try and do a healthier natural outlet uh intense exercise cold showers time in nature meditation um but if that doesn't get rid of the tension then you can always not use porn but still release yeah i think it's important if you do go that uh, masturbation route don't just do it like a, a 20 second uh, <laughs> speed whack and do it and done it's it's like mm -hmm. i think uh if you can a bit more healthy like imagine imagine imagining it in your head taking your time it's a that, that's a good point um i i did say slow and gentle which the reason i said that i'm glad you um i'm glad you uh doubled down on that is because you you know, there, there's been studies with rats that uh, they train the rats to ejaculate quickly. And we've seen, especially with, you know, on the recovery forums, thousands of guys say they develop premature ejaculation, um, they believe, because they train themselves when they were young to masturbate really quickly before their parents catch them. And so they grew up all through their adolescence, you know, j jacking off as fast as possible. And so their whole arousal template and their, uh, you know, their nervous system is trained to climax as fast as possible. And if you do turn to masturbation without porn, another thing to stay away from is porn fantasy, right? 
um, neurological research is very clear that when you fantasize and think about something, it actually creates those same pathways. And you can fantasize about a video that you've seen, and it will activate the same neurological pathways, which is why, you know, if you think of a pink elephant in your head, you actually can, you know, subconsciously see a pink elephant. It's, it's really pathways, like physiological pathways in your brain that are firing. So if you avoid porn fantasy, that would also be wise because we've seen that guys that go to masturbating with fantasy about porn develop um, porn-induced erectile dysfunction again sometimes. So That's super interesting. Um, can you talk a little bit more, sorry to go off the questions a bit, but the that as arousal template, mm-hmm. you called it? Um, cause that, that would have been so useful to learn in school, uh, <laughs> like stop doing things super quickly for instant gratification. Cause you're yeah. going to, you're going to fuck yourself up. You're going to mess up your brain. Um, mm-hmm. like what, what is it? And like, what effect does it have? Or I don't know. It's the first I've heard yeah. of it, obviously, apart from when you mentioned it earlier. So I'm yeah. interested. <laughs> well, so there's a term sexual conditioning, right? Think of, think of Pavlov's dog that, learn to salivate when he heard the bell ringing, right? So for those who don't know, Pavlov, researcher, he had a dog and he would ring a bell and then give the dog food. And what he observed is that the more he rang the bell, eventually the dog associated and learned, it was a learned response, a cue to start salivating and getting excited just from the sound of a bell because the dog knew that that was grub time, it was time to eat. And if you think about it, you know, if, if you do have a dog out there, then, you know, like you could say, like, do you want to go outside or any words like that or triggers and cues for that dog? And so, you know, all I have to do is pick up my car keys, for example, and my dog gets excited because every time I pick up my car keys, they think they're going with me and going, you know, to the park or something. And so the dog learned that the bell meant it was grub time. And that was conditioning of the dog's brain. And so when we think of the arousal template, the arousal template, you know, brain structures in the brain, like the nucleus accumbens, which is the center of the reward circuit. And then you have the hypothalamus, which uh, is thought to be kind of the male's erection center. But anyways, these structure in the brain, not to get too complicated, there's structures in the brain that communicate, which then uh, send signals down the spine to our genitals to arouse us. And so those structures in the brain can wire to cues. So for instance, when you develop a um, fetish for something, uh, you're probably wiring that into the arousal template. For example, there was a study done on rats that were trained to be aroused. They were conditioned to be aroused by cadaverine. And cadaverine is the smell of rotting flesh. So what they did, they had rats mate with each other. This is, this is a really interesting experiment that explains so much of what porn addicts escalate into and you know start to become aroused by so these researchers had these rats mate the females were sprayed with cadaverine which is the smell of rotting flesh now normally if a rat hadn't been conditioned to this they would stay far away from those females that were sprayed like that the stank nasty females they'd go bury their head in the corner of the cage (laughs) but they mated these rats together and after they did that, the, the male rats that mated with the stank nasty females were aroused by cadaverine after that. 
So the researchers would drop in uh, little bottle caps um, that were laced with cadaverine. And instead of uh, running away from them like the unconditioned rats would, the new conditioned rats would actually show little signs of arousal. They'd get little rat erections and they'd go play with the toys that were sprayed with cadaverine. So basically they showed that something that is innately repulsive, now think of porn, think of uh, gagging throw-up videos, think of, you know, uh, I don't know, two girls, one cup, like crazy stuff that you typically wouldn't escalate into and watch while you're aroused, that gets wired into your arousal template. And what used to repulse you is now exciting. And there was a study on um, a, a survey on NoFap where 56% of the users said they escalated into material they once considered extreme or deviant by their own standards. Um, and important to point out of that, the majority of those that escalated into that stuff didn't have any shame around it because a lot of people will say, again, they'll dismiss it as, oh, it's just shame or just moral shame or whatever. So anyways, all that to say, the arousal template is highly moldable, especially in adolescence, which going back to that parent's question, you know, when you set your kid free on the internet, um, <laughs> if they stumble across highly shocking, highly, you know, novel, highly gross material while they're clicking around aroused, they can wire that into their, uh, arousal template and it can change their sexuality. And, um, or not their sexuality, it can change what they're aroused by. Uh, to be clear. And so that's just important to know. And it's super profound and it's not taught in schools. And that like that study and just just the sexual conditioning concept is what I wish that every middle schooler and high schooler knew. Because when you're on when you're perusing the Internet as a teenager, it would have been nice to know that what I was getting off to might impact what I'm aroused by later on in life. And maybe I wouldn't have asked my girlfriends to do the crazy things that I asked them to do had I known that I would. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh man, that brings, yeah, that's some bad memories. Yeah. I don't want to think about from me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Look, looking back in my history, man, it is, it is clear. I, I don't, have to be specific. I can get the point across with just saying some things that I escalated into. I tried to get my uh, my real life girlfriends to do in high school and in college, and it was clear looking back that it was because I was conditioned by porn to perceive that as even desirable or arousing. Had I never watched porn, I wouldn't have tried, you know, to get them to do those those things. Yeah, that's something that definitely myself and every everyone would benefit from having that tool in school 100 like yeah, percent. i don't think there's any downside to knowing about that and it's not it's not too complicated you know a lot of people think i had a guy tweet me the other day he was like so you're telling me you talk to kids about dopamine and i'm like <laughs> yes <laughs> like yes i do do you, do you think a 12 year old can't understand what i just said that you the more you do something the better your brain gets it you know perceiving it as pleasurable like this is this is not that complicated. And I had a I, I gave a talk a couple months ago and a 12 year old literally asked me after I was done presenting. He was like, so how do I get my dopamine to fire for something more healthy? And it's like that was wow. an awesome question. And that guy apparently thinks that, you know, 12 year old guys aren't capable of thinking like that. <laughs> yeah. But parents, yeah, 12, 12 year olds aren't that dumb. No, they, they get it. And, you know, that's just something I want to put out there to all the parents that are listening. Your kids can understand the basic neuroscience. Go to yourbrainonporn.com. 
um, or check out one of my latest YouTube videos called The Basics of Addiction Neuroscience, um, where I just, it's a five minute video. I walk through the four main addiction related brain changes and you can explain that to even a, you know, like a 10, 11 year old, they'll totally understand and they can apply it uh, for all online activities like we've discussed, you know, gaming, social media, and porn. And so if you equip your kid with that knowledge, they can steer themselves to a healthy life. Yeah, that's a good reminder, actually, for everyone listening. Make sure you go and check out his YouTube channel. It's a <laughs> fantastic resource. We're talking about like this, the problem of porn in adolescence. Um, what, what happens if it's already gone too far? We had a, a parent ask us a question. Um, their son, who's in their mid to late 20s, they've got severe gaming and porn obsession or addiction, uh, but she's worried because he's very sensitive. Um, he'll shut her out entirely, try to get him, if she tries to get him to change. So it's, she thinks he's almost too far gone to actually do anything to him now. Like, what, what can someone do in that situation where they think it's, it might be too late to, to make a difference? Well, number one, it's never too late and no one's too far gone. So I'll start there. That's just something that everyone needs to hear is it's never too late. No one's too far gone. Um, number two, it is innately weird to talk about sex with our parents. Yeah. Super. <laughs> we're, <laughs> super. We're, that's yeah. That's, that's just a universal truth. That's biological in nature. You know, we're, we're not wired for sexuality with uh, family, you know, that, cause that, leads to the concept of incest you know you want you want to go outside your family your tribe for sexuality so that's just something kind of from a biological perspective is interesting to know it's also another big porn category exactly exactly that is super <laughs> popular now because that because that shock and that taboo but if you here's the kicker though if you keep the conversation on basic brain science the physiological impact the health impact that takes away the the shame, the judgment, you know, the, it, it takes away the focus on any specific genre that your child may have watched or that, you know, if you check their history, you saw a specific genre that might've upset you or, or whatever. If you just keep it on the basic brain science without getting into specifics of genres, the child will be way more likely to listen to what you have to say. But if it's past that point and you kind of feel like, you know, the, the conversation that you're going to have with your child is not going to be effective, then the, the best thing you can do, in my opinion, is point your kid to resources where people outside their family, like, like myself, like Gary at yourbrainonporn.com, or like any other YouTuber that you, you know, obviously vet the video first before you give it to your kid, make sure you agree with what the, the person's saying. But you can give your child a, a video of mine where he sees another dude talking about it that um you know that's coming at it from totally health perspective and um i've i've had parents you know message me saying that showing them my youtube video where i share my story and i talk about the brain science completely changed their kids perspective and not only that it opened up the conversation to where you know from the from the foundation being laid from a health perspective, then the kid will open up and talk about you know all other things like genres and masculinity and respect and you know how to treat a, a partner, how to treat a woman. You know, the whole conversation can be opened when you start from that health perspective. I say uh, physiology first, 
psychology second. Start with the brain, and then you can get into the uh, psychology behind maybe healthy relationships and consent and stuff like that. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, I didn't realize that I had a problem with gaming or addiction until I read Cam's story on Game Quitters like four, four or five years ago. Yeah. And it, it was like he had a script to my life. Um, like someone else had been through exactly what I'd been through. And until you find that relatable source, whether it's through NoFap or Stop Gaming or Game Quitters or all these different communities, when you see that other people have gone through the same thing as you, it gives you an, a renewed sense of hope that things can actually change. Because you, you almost get stuck in a bubble like um, when you're in that position. You think there's no way out. There's nothing you can do to change. That's just who you are. But seeing people fight and make it through to the other side, it's... Uh, it, yeah, it gives you that motivation to make a change. I think. Yeah, and that's a that's a good point that just made me think. Make sure your make sure your kid knows that they're not alone. Um, you know, they might they might not have opened up to anybody in their friend group and their friends. Even if you know, even if your your child does have friends that have a problem, they might not know that. Most of my uh, most of my guy friends, we didn't we didn't talk about having a problem with porn, even though now that we're adults and, you know, they know my story and we've all opened up to each other. It's like the vast majority of my friends had an addiction or a sexual dysfunction even. And, you know, we didn't tell anybody that when we were in high school. And so, um, make sure your child knows they're not alone. And, you know, the easiest way to do that is just show them videos of other young guys talking about it. You know, this is a, this is a very big issue and whether it's gaming or porn, there are now thousands of, of people out there talking about the issue and putting a face to the problem. So make sure your kid knows that they're not alone. Yeah, 100%. And I think we'll finish up with one last question here um, from another person who's struggling to quit. Um, what, to do, what do you do when the urge to watch porn hits? Like they said they've tried everything, but it's almost as if they have a brain fog that takes over. They can't think straight and they end up relapsing back into porn. That's a tough one. Um, you know, once once the sensitized addiction pathways are uh, lit up or triggered, if you will, then it's tough because, you know, once you're in arousal state, your prefrontal cortex is not working properly. So your steering wheel and brakes are inhibited. And then, you know, your reward circuit is go, 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 go. Let's get this dopamine hit. So that's a tough one, you know, and that's the the, the best thing you can do is proactively set your day up with a schedule with a structure, with either filters or deleting apps or anything you have saved, set your entire day up for success. Um, and that's, you know, it, it takes a step and it takes a little motivation to do that, but I highly recommend it. Step one is create a healthy environment so you don't get triggered. Um, but if you do, you need to have a plan memorized in your head on a, a couple different options that you could do. Um, one is start exercising. If you start to feel triggered, literally drop down and do 20 push-ups. Uh, I've had guys say that that, that alone kind of rewires it and gets their, um, I guess, horniness to go away. Um, or you could leave the house. Uh, for instance, I was watching a documentary about two or three years after I quit porn. <laughs> And the documentary was showing the type of porn that I escalated into at one point. And it was, you know, I, I felt myself subconsciously becoming aroused, even though I didn't want to. And my heart was beating fast. I started, you know, I, I was literally shaking. And, uh, you know, I hadn't watched porn in two years, but I felt those old dormant 
sensitized pathways kind of being reactivated. And so I, I had a moment of almost panic and I was like, okay, I, you know, what do I, what am I doing right now? And so I, I got up from my computer and walked my dog. I immediately just ran outside and I went and walked around the block. And by the time I got back, I was calm and I was cool. And so that's another little tip. Have a list, literally put a sticky note next to your computer or where you're usually on your phone. Like if you're sitting on the couch or something, just have it there. I don't care if it's lame and you're like, I'm not putting a sticky note with tips, but trust me, you need to do it. If you are addicted enough to where you're getting triggered and relapsing after you committed yourself not to watch porn, you need to take drastic measures when there's drastic times. And so, yeah, have a, have a sticky note with tips, push-ups, leave the house, call a friend, <laughs> literally phone a friend. Um, just something, something in place that you've already thought of. So you're not trying to think of something, have it already planned out. But then mainly the key to success is the passionate pursuit of a worthy ideal so pursue something healthy all day long. Be focused on a project. Be focused on improving your uh, career, or maybe doing better at your job or, or school. Um, you know, be focused on scheduling social gatherings where you're face-to-face -face with people rather than typing on a keyboard or a phone. So set your whole day up for success and then have a game plan for, for when you do stumble across a trigger. That's a great answer. Uh, it mimics a lot of what we say in game critters as well, especially about changing your environment because mm -hmm. um, you physically can't play games or masturbate if you go outside. Well, you can, but it's kind of illegal. But, <laughs> right. um, but it's, it's impossible to do it if you go to a coffee shop and you can't just get out an Xbox and start playing. Yeah, <laughs> ab absolutely. Yeah. yeah, one thing, one thing I did and uh, just because I love, of talking about studies, I'll mention this one. <clears throat> um, you know, they've they've shown that seeing cues related to your addiction fires up some of the same neurological pathways. So change your environment. Um, when a cocaine addict sees pictures of the alley that he used to do drugs in, or the bar that an alcoholic used to drink beer in, they they've literally seen the brain fire up the same addicted pathways. So switch up your environment. Uh, move your furniture around. Um, only get on your phone or laptop outside of your bedroom. Uh, maybe only get on your phone or laptop at a coffee shop or somewhere public, um, especially if you're having trouble staying, uh, staying away from relapsing at home. Tell yourself, I'm not going to get on my device unless I'm out in public. That'll definitely help. Um, and then my last tip that I'll finish on just in a nutshell is create goals, create a vision for yourself to pursue. What do you want to pursue in life? And then create a, a vision of hell. If you were not to, to change your life at all, what would hell look like in five years? What would heaven look like in five years if you did everything you could to make yourself a little better each day? Small incremental steps for five years. If you, if you made goals and you tried to you know, achieve them, what would that look like? And then what would it look like if you did nothing kept your pants around your ankles in a dark corner in your room and kept masturbating. What would that look like? So you have a little heaven to pursue, a little goal to achieve, a worthy ideal to pursue. And then you have a little hell of, uh, to keep you motivated to run away from. And if you do that and you structure your next couple years out with just, you know, a vision for yourself, that will give you motivation, passion, and a purpose to stay away from porn and know that it's not healthy 
for you to be dependent on pixels. Um, just think about it from a health perspective. That's my uh, advice in a nutshell. That was amazing advice. You even got me kind of motivated and fired up. <laughs> it's like, I want to change my life. Let's get after it, man. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> Let's go. Choose, choose real people. Choose real people over pixels. You know, yeah. we're we're wired for connection. Yeah. And the more you know, the more connected we get online, sometimes we lose that desire in real life and it has devastating consequences. Yeah, it's always ironic when I think about how connected our world has become and how little connection we actually have with each other. And I think it's just something to be mindful of, making those connections and trying to avoid the things that are designed to keep you uh, detached from other people like gaming and porn and keep you sucked into that fantasy world that you want to live in. Because everything's great in that world. Like nothing can go wrong. Uh, but it's, <laughs> at the end of the day, it's not a world that you want to live in. But anyway, Gabe Dean, thank you so much, man. It's, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. Absolutely. Um, where can people find you? Yeah, first of all, thanks for having me on, James. It's It's been a blast. And I really, I really do love what y'all are doing. And uh, we are on a similar mission. Um, and, you know, just getting people connected in the real world and uh, informed, educated on potential negative effects. Uh, yeah, I don't think this is the last time we'll be we'll be uh, collaborating. Yeah, I hope not, man. I, I definitely would love to to keep this relationship going and um, help each other out as much as we can. Um, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, my handle is just my name at Gabe Dean uh, Instagram as well. Uh, at Gabe Deem. Um, my website is rebootnation.org. Uh, you can find my name on there, Gabe Deem. You can shoot me a message on there if you want to contact me uh, or DM me on Twitter. Um, and YouTube, uh, the Reboot Nation on YouTube. Um, I got, you know, several information, uh, informational videos, advice videos, and also some videos that might be useful to um, having to get the conversation started with a loved one or a child or something like that. So hopefully people find it helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Go and check out his stuff. He releases some incredibly funny videos on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> so, oh, that yeah. one you did recently, man, uh, killed me <laughs> with you. The wet dreams. Oh, oh, God, yeah. <laughs> you have yeah, to every go now watch and then. that. Every now and then, you know this. <laughs> this the topic can be can be sad. It can be sad and weird, and you know a lot of people think it's awkward and. You know, for whatever reason, I haven't ever been shy or I never thought talking about sex and porn was weird. You know, my group of friends growing up were super open, like literally think of the movie super bad. Yeah. And that was basically my group of friends. Um, we were all, you know, outgoing, you know, athletic. Uh, we never turned to porn because we couldn't get a real life girlfriend. So there was always this openness to our conversation around porn. And so the stars aligned for me to develop a limp penis and be the guy to talk about it. <laughs> and, and so I'm, I try to be as open as possible and make it lighthearted and add some humor. So, yeah, uh, it's, it's so good. So yeah. It's uh, <laughs> definitely worth a follow. Um, but yeah, anyway, man, thank you so much. And uh, until next time. Yeah, no problem. And hope the best for y'all. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Gaming the System, the number one podcast on gaming addiction brought to you by Game Quitters. 
As always, if you enjoyed the episode, make sure to share it around to family members, friends, or anyone you think could benefit. And don't forget to leave a review. It's super helpful. Check us out on social at Game Quitters Everywhere. And if gaming addiction is affecting your life, we recommend having a look at our guide on the website. It's gamequitters.com forward slash respawn if you're a gamer and gamequitters.com forward slash reclaim if you're the parent or loved one of an addict. The important thing is not to lose hope and remember, real life is always worth fighting for. See you in the next episode.